0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the latest edition of the Hubbard Champions Podcast with your host, Shukri Wrights. Another double box edition, and in, in, this, in which this time, this is going to be a lot of fun because I love talking Boston sports. And, and I can't think of someone who has pretty much almost seen it all. He's experienced a lot. And he is the host um, of the night show at WEI, Rich Keith, who joins me on the pod yes uh, yet again for the first time in three years, which is hard to believe. But it's been a while, but I'm happy to have him back on. Um Rich, how are you doing? And welcome to the Hub of Champions.
1: I'm great, Shooker. Yeah, it's been way too long, but thanks again for having me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, my my pleasure, man. My pleasure. Um, you know, you know what else has been way too long? Uh, the Boston Bruins' um, ability to actually hold on to a lead, and that's going to be the lead topic on this on this particular podcast. Because um, as the Bruins get ready to play Thursday night against the defending Cup champions, I am I'm thoroughly annoyed, pretty pretty much ticked off with this team right about now. Um, and it's not just the fact that we've had a the disastrous road trip, but rather there have been issues that I warned people about back in December that has now grown larger and larger and that is their inability to hold on to leads in the third period rich with this team approaching the trade deadline in just a little more than a week from now what do you foresee the bruins doing at the trade deadline and what type of decisions do you think the bruins will need to make in order for them to make a serious run for the cup come april
1: Yeah, they got a lot of decisions to make because I think they're better than I thought they were going to be, at least record-wise. I didn't think they were going to be in first place for as long as they were, and I know it's kind of back and forth now, but I thought last year was the year to go all in. Last year was, Mm -hmm. you know, Bergeron, Krejci, do what you can and try to win a cup. Didn't happen. Now they're better. You can't just sit there and do nothing, though, and so Don Sweeney has already traded away all of his draft picks. So he doesn't have that to deal with. They're right up against it salary cap wise. So it goes back to the question that many of us Bruins fans had all the way at the beginning of the year. What are you doing with the two goalies? What are you doing with, with Lena Salmark? Is he really a part of the future or can you trade him and another roster player or two in order to upgrade the team? You know, they probably need a center. They probably need a defenseman, but you can't just trade picks anymore to get those guys. So you have yep. to figure it out, and I think Linus Olmark, I think Matt Grislick, and I think Jake DeBrusque are the three prime candidates. Maybe not all three of them gone, but one or two of those guys might have to go uh, in the next couple of weeks.
0: It's funny because when I mentioned on Twitter that I, I'm open to actually moving Linus Omark at the trade deadline... You have Bruin fans who many of them lack common sense on Twitter. They don't. They get emotional, um, and 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 I and I knew right away. It was like this. Of course, this wasn't going to go over well. But the reality is this: you can't get sentimental in business. You can't get like you know you know what the old saying: you can't get in your in, in your feelings. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that, as you mentioned, they traded away the draft picks last year. They're not. They're not at a position of strength where they have prospects or they have um, draft picks where they can they can move off of. They've done that now. The reality is, as you put it perfectly, they're going to have to make those decisions based on the players that they have on the roster. As you mentioned, Grizzlick, Jake DeBrus, Linus Olmark, all three are, are legitimate trade candidates and so forth. And And what's crazy now is that more and more people People are saying the Bruins should consider really trading Linus Olmark. I'm like, well, I I said this last summer that they should have traded him then when his value was much higher, but they didn't. So here we are. Rich, at what point are we in, in terms of the Boston sports media landscape and fans? When are we going to stop circling around um, the, the, the barrel of stupidity? Because it just seems like more times than not, we don't really learn or listen to logic when it when it and where it applies until well after the fact, and then it's a little too late.
1: Oh, yeah. Like it's easy to rip the GMs and, and do all that. But then there are moves that a lot of people wouldn't have made when they should have made it. And you know, case in point mm-hmm. with the Linus Ulmark thing. I mean, it was very clear that you know that was a great, great season that Ulmark put together. But Swayman is the goalie of the future for this team. And you can really only go so far if you have two high-paid goalies. And I know Swayman isn't super high-paid yet this year, but if you're just talking about the ability to add good talent on your roster, you probably have to break that up. And it's one thing, you know, you might have a better argument on your case if both guys were playing lights out. You'd have a much better argument if if one or both guys were cheap, but that's not the case. So, yeah, they should have traded Linus Lomar. Sell high, right, as it goes. Sell high on Linus Lomar. They didn't do it. So now I wonder what kind of return you can actually get and mm-hmm. and and how that goes. But, you know, just because you kept them in the in the offseason doesn't mean you're forced to keep them in the next two weeks. You know, maybe there's a team out there that says, all right, this is our best chance to go for it. We're gonna, we're gonna go get Linus and, you know, figure it out from there. But yeah, that was frustrating. But one thing, Shuker, you're always gonna get is Fans losing their minds and fans, you know, not being not buying into stuff, getting yeah. attached to players, getting <laughs> attached to certain things. like that's just part of it. You know that that's a great part of it, but yeah, sometimes there's yeah. there's no uh, convincing people otherwise.
0: Of of course, and that's and that's part of why I, I I tend to have a lot of fun on on these platforms. Where it's like, you want to get mad at me, fine, but the truth is staring at you in the face. Right. So if the playoffs start tomorrow, don't be mad at me. That I didn't warn you that a team like Tor- that the Toronto Maple Leafs, they could actually beat the Bruins, something that they haven't been able to do in the last decade. Or, or a team like Florida who, and I've been warning Bruin fans for weeks now, this is a better Florida team this season than what you saw last year that came up from 3-1 down. So at what point do we really start to look at this team with a, with a, with a lens of reality that there are glaring weaknesses that has to be addressed or this is going to be an early playoff exit for this team come April.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, last year was just such a crusher that I have a hard time buying in regardless. Mm -hmm. Like, it, and we'll see what the trade deadline brings, but, I mean, your best players are on your roster. Like, I'd be surprised if they got anybody that's, you know, better than any of their top three or four forwards or their top two defensemen or you know obviously the goaltending situation is what it is so i just this this team more than any other is prove it in the playoffs like you got to get in the playoffs you have to prove me wrong prove a bunch of other people wrong because if you had i was saying this the other night on the show if you had to right now make a prediction are they more likely to get bounced in the first round or make it to the uh cup final what would you choose right now? I think everybody would choose bounce in the first round. And, you know, maybe the reality will be somewhere in the middle. Maybe they'll lose in the second round or something like that. But if you had to choose the two extremes, I think most fans are, are nervous that they're going to get bounced again.
0: And that's where I'm at, where if you ask me, like, that same question, likelihood to get bounced in the first round or to send cup finals or get to the cup final, I'm, like, probably losing the first round. I mean the the issues with this team is from from everything that I have watched from from day one of the season up until now, their back end they need a left handed shot defenseman in the worst way. Um, they they need a left handed shot on defenseman in the worst way. But then also they need help in terms of their their bottom six scoring. I mean their fourth line has done a tremendous job of late, of of, of contributing offensively. But you're getting next to nothing from your from, from your third line, and I just wonder, on the trade market right now, like who do you look at and you say that, hey, you know what, maybe this guy could be um a little bit of help offensively. I I personally have said they need to go out and get Noah Hannifin. I'm. St- Standing on that hill, whether mm-hmm. it happens or not, but I do think Limp Noah Noah Hannafin, for a left-handed shot defense who can help this team in terms of bottom six forwards. I mean, one, I mean, you, I think the Bruins should look into uh, the likes of Vladimir Tarasenko or or, 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 or maybe a, um, a a Lars Eller who who could be a, a third-line center since um, Charlie Coy has been shifted to the top mm-hmm. six. But I do think that that there are moves that, moves like, that could be made for this team. But the reality is. Will Don Sweeney actually make those moves?
1: Yeah, I know. I mean, all those guys you named, I think are solid. I I like uh Adam Henrik from uh Anaheim. I think he could he could play center, he could play left wing if you need to. He's a 20-goal plus yeah, guy, right. and I think he could he could fit in nicely on this team. He's in the last year of his contract, so they'd have to figure out a way to get his contract for this season in and on the books, but they don't have to worry about it going forward. So hopefully you don't have to give up too much to get him as a rental, but I think he'd be a pretty good addition. So yeah, there'll be names. I mean, there, I don't think there's going to be studs and like a lot of all-stars swapping teams, but as far as guy, like every year you see it guys that, that come in here and make a run. I mean, last year, I know the results weren't there as far as the playoffs, but last year at the deadline, all the guys that Sweeney brought in were great for mm-hmm. and Hathaway and Orloff, like all those guys helped quite a bit. And uh, yeah. again, not the results that you wanted. So I don't know. I, I trust. I do trust Sweeney in that sense. As frustrated as I am and we are that they they held on to Olmark, you know, in the offseason, he's had some pretty good trade deadlines, you know. So I'll 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 wait and I'll see what he does, and then we'll react to it accordingly when he does or doesn't do
0: the the thing that we want. Absolutely, and I think this is going to be a very telling on um, trade deadline coming up next day, March eighth. And I'm at that place where I, I told myself, "Listen, next Friday I'm going to be watching like 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 a hawk in the sky. Like, what are they doing? What are the teams in the Eastern Conference are doing, and see how it all shakes out." Speaking of a team that I'm waiting to see how things shake out is the Boston Celtics, because I'm of the belief that this is the best Celtics team since that 0708 championship team that won battle number 17. If you were to try to nitpick, a weakness with this team. I don't think that you can you may uh, you may have a point where you where you could say you know what this team is a little too reliant on a three-pointer. They don't attack the rim enough. They did a pretty good job of that um in in the game against the Knicks on Saturday night. But with this Celtics team, there isn't really a weakness that that's glaring and so forth. So so Rich if you could if you could like say right now that for this team, it is truly banner 18 or bust. Would you agree with that? And if not, why not?
1: So I would say I'm right up there, but then I would back off slightly. Like, I think it's close because I think that Mm. if the Denver nuggets, if the Denver nuggets get there again, they just won it last year. As great as Tatum is and has been. Jokic is still the best player in the world. He's crazy. The stuff he can do is insane, and if you have a seven-game series and it's a hard-fought back and forth, you lose to Jokic and Jamal Murray, I can't then say, like, what a disaster, what an awful season, right? Because every time you lose a series, there's different ways, right? You can get swept. You can play seven games where there's multiple overtime games, and it's anybody's game. You can come back from 3-1. You can blow a 3-1 lead. So I think if it's a hard-fought series, against the nuggets and that might be it there because i don't i I, after the bucks got doc rivers i kind of wrote the bucks off i don't think anybody else in the eastern conference is ready to go the young teams in the west kind of intrigue me but i think it's denver so like that would i think it's a bust if they lose to anybody other than denver is how i would kind of simplify my answer
0: if you look at the teams in the west Outside of Denver, what are two teams to you that you'd say? You said, you know what? I think they have a legitimate chance of getting into the finals. OKC's got to be one of those teams, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, OKC, it's crazy what they've been able to do. They're so young. I mean, everybody that plays on their team is like under 24 years old, I think. So they, they've been fun. But I would go with the Clippers. Yeah. You know, I, I know for years they would hit their head against the wall and they didn't get very far. Again, part of that was the Doc Rivers thing. But Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, that's a pretty good combination. And then Minnesota has been cruising right along all year. And Anthony Edwards is taking his game to the next level. So I like those teams. I don't I'm not sold at all on Phoenix or L.A. or, you know, Dallas or any of those teams. Mm. I would say Denver number one with the bullet, then the Clippers and then those two young teams of Minnesota and uh, OKC.
0: In the east, so you're talking about with the Bucks like not really um, buying to um to, to Milwaukee. I'm there with you because once a coach has shown me time and time again that he has that choke factor in the pl- in the playoffs, I have a very difficult time trusting him. And I'm I'm at that point with with Doc Rivers where I don't care the fact you have Giannis and as well as Damian Ler. I I don't care. Your track record alone tells me, and you had um, you, you had Joel Embiid and as well as um James Harden um, as your one-two punch in Philly and you couldn't get the job done so what leads me to think that things are going to be any different in Milwaukee and I think and I talked about this with Justin Turpin also of WEI that the only team in East that really would give me concern when healthy is the New York Knicks would you agree yeah, and I you know, Randall
1: that that injury, we've heard multiple timelines on that. So if you said Julius Randall is full go 100% and then the season that Jalen Brunson has had, I think that's a tough team. I kind of like mm. Indiana, and I don't I don't think Indiana's ready for it this year, but it's hard to argue with how good Halliburton yeah. is. So I think they're like a fun team. They're not ready yet. I'm a massive Donovan Mitchell fan, but I don't think Cleveland's there yet either to like to win a a seven-game series against the Celtics. But I'll tell you, whatever series Cleveland and Indiana, like if they play each other or whoever they're playing against, I think it's going to be really entertaining. And maybe in another year or two, that's who's kind of knocking on the door of the the Celtics. But yeah, I mean, once uh, Doc went to Milwaukee, I never really thought Philly was a major contender. And then Embiid gets hurt. So you're like, yeah, maybe it is the Knicks. You know, they can they can be tough, but mm. that's why the Celtics really shouldn't lose to anybody in the East. I mean, the Celtics should be able to roll through the conference.
0: Yeah. And I I, and I agree, like, but the I think the Knicks pose a challenge because when healthy, mm. I think this team could potentially match up well, especially defensively, when you look at the likes of Josh um of Josh Hart, uh, Mitchell Robinson, and a healthy Julius Ramble, obviously Jalen Brunson. Playing like an MVP um candidate. And, and, then you, and then you look at what the Celtics have in terms of like one through six, I don't it's very difficult um to find a better one through six in the entire NBA, East or Western Conference, when you have a healthy Chris Operzingis who has been by and large part healthy this season, and you've seen how big of a difference that he has been for this Celtics team so rich. I'll ask you, has Chris. Kristaps Porzingis been the bigger missing piece for the Celtics' offensive success and as well as defense, or has it been Drew Holiday who has formed alongside with Derek White to be the best defensive backcourt in the NBA?
1: That's a good question. I mean, the combination of the two of them has really kind of set them apart. I mean, I guess I would have to single out Porzingis just because I was worried about all the injuries. I wasn't sure how he was going to be able to, to fit in. He's fit in seamlessly, and you think about all the different guys they have brought in over the last several years to play with Brown and with Tatum. I mean, you're talking about Kyrie and Gordon Hayward and Kemba Walker and Malcolm Brogdon and Marcus Smart. Like, all these guys have been here, come and gone, and Porzingis, like, right away fit in. So I would give Porzingis the most credit for how this team looks. I mean, again, outside of Tatum, but I would say Porzingis. But Drew Holiday has probably given up the most. You know, Drew Holiday is not averaging anywhere near twenty points per game. Drew Holiday Mm -hmm. is guarding every guy on the other team, it seems like whoever they want to put him on, he ends up guarding them. So Holiday, and I think it really helps to have the one guy who's won a title. You know, I I get so sick of when some of the Celtics broadcasters are like, Al Horford's such a winner. I'm like, Yeah, he's never won an NBA title though. Like, yeah, he he won in college (laughs) finals, but like he's not like he's just a winner that's all he does. I'm like, "Well, how about guys that actually have NBA finals winning experience?" And that's Drew Holiday. That's what he brought to the table and I think that is uh, already helped and I can only imagine how much more it's going to help come playoff time.
0: And that's where like my mind is in terms of that experience that Drew Holiday brings to the table that no one else has in terms of having one. Obviously, but maybe 60, 70% of the roster of this current Celtic roster has experience having been to the finals just two years ago. Obviously, talking about Tatum Brown, um, I, 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 as those two uh, primarily, and, and as well as Horford. But I also bring myself to this place where, for the first time, probably in the Tatum Brown era, you're seeing a key Campaign that's being launched in in regards to Jason Tatum being the NBA MVP this season, and you're hearing it a lot more from his teammates and how they have been vocal as to that he should be the MVP this year. If Joel Embiid does not get disqualified from being an MVP um, candidate or winner because of the number of games that he that he'll be playing this this season, but who knows when he comes back. I think the conversation really goes goes back to Joel Embiid winning MVP again this year because how incredible he has been when he was healthy. But it's Tatum now. So what I what I want to ask you is what I don't understand is why is it that it's mostly his his teammates that have been vocal about him in in terms of his MVP candidacy versus Tatum, who I can't remember a year that he has been more focused on winning a championship than he has this season.
1: Yeah, you know, and Tatum has definitely been asked about it around All Star break. He was asked about it. One of the games after the break, he was asked about it. Might have been the Bulls game, and he has talked about it. And I think he's made it clear that, yeah, he would love to be the MVP, and he also knows that some of the other guys in the MVP conversation might average more points than him and things like that. But what he's doing is he's trying to win. Like that's the that's the number one goal. And I've always said you can do both. You can be the MVP and you can be on a title team. I think he's got a real good chance at it. I think Jokic will probably win. You know, he won back-to-back years and then Joel Embiid won it last year and Jokic finished second. And now Embiid, like you said, hurt. He's out of the picture. It seems like Jokic, every time you look up, he's putting up a triple-double. So I think Jokic will probably win. But being the best player on the best team, right, with the best record, that should put you in the conversation, which it has. I mean, he was Tatum's been first team all NBA each of the last two years. He's gonna be first team all NBA again this year. And I would probably put him second. Like if I was doing my voting, I know Shea Gildris Alexander has been awesome. I know Luka Doncic has been awesome. Uh, you know, Giannis, like say whatever you want about the Bucs, but Giannis is still delivering. But I would probably go Jokic Tatum one two if I if if
0: I had a vote. It's hard for me to argue there. And I know there's going to be a conversation like between now and the end of the regular season, but I think the focus right now, the priority for this team should be, and it is, winning on um, Banner um, 18 in June. And for, for a tandem and for a team that is so steep in winning and in in tradition and history and so forth, and there has been so much has been made of Tatum and Brown during during this era that at one point and i will admit this back during the pandemic when they were in the bubble and they lost to the miami heat um in the eastern conference finals i was wondering then whether if they will ever be able to win a championship together as a duo and we are now at that point where tatum and brown they are they are far better together than they are apart I mean, for, for goodness sakes, Jalen Brown was an all-star of this of this season. No surprise there. But if they were to win battle number 18 this season, Rich, does this change the, the perception in terms of Tatum and Brown being able to, to win together and as well as be the true pillars of this team that so many people have viewed them as over the years?
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's what it comes down to, especially in the NBA, you know, more so than any other sport outside of maybe quarterback where we put all the pressure on a quarterback. The quarterback has to win a Super Bowl, but the NBA, the best players have to win. And you can only be said that you're the best or the best young player or the best duo or the best this. But if there's no title attached, it's all right. Well, now maybe it's somebody else and you got to kind of look to another direction. So I think because Taven Brown had so much success, even team success early on, and it didn't take them long to be in the Eastern Conference final, I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people were like, oh, well, then they should win. They should win it earlier. They should win it sooner. And the reality is, when a young guy is the best player on a team, it usually takes that guy six, seven years to get to the finals or to win the finals. And if you want to talk about, you know, LeBron or, uh, what curry or you know it's janice jokic it it took all those guys a little bit of time to get going the difference is celtics it's the you know the the franchise that you talked about the winning is franchise and you know they were there early enough that i think it started to change expectations but now you know circle back to they are the favorites you can't cough up many opportunities when you're the favorite until now you're on like a different list. Like now here's a list of guys that can't win the big game. Here's a list of guys that are, you know, that choke in the playoffs. So there's a lot of pressure on them, but if they do pull this off, then yeah, that, that sort of goes back to, Putting keeping these two guys together, and now sort of sky's the limit because in the NBA, it's easy to get greedy. It's easy to start talking about back to backs. It's easy to start talking about how many titles can you win. But yeah, you got to get that first one. Clearly, you got to start with that first one, and uh, that's where they're that's what they're staring at right now.
0: You know what else is is worthy of staring at in a good way? The dynasty. Have you have you had the chance to watch all four episodes as of yet? Yes, I have. In fact, that's where I want to go to next because the on the previous episode of the Hubble Champions, I had the privilege and honor of, of interviewing Matthew Um Hamacek, the executive producer of, of the docuseries series we can watch on Apple TV And and I talked about one particular thing that I was really disturbed by. Like I was disturbed by by like the fact that O three and oh four seasons were glossed over. And I thought that those seasons should have been at least discussed a bit more. Maybe not in the way that 01 was talked about, but 03-04 were equally important to the dynasty in terms of the dominance that those two that those two teams, back to back seasons the Patriots had and, and red. Do you feel lack like of discussion surrounding the O three O four teams, or do you think that it was it, it it did the series at least some justice that you just talked about Super Bowl 30 38 and 39 without going into detail?
1: No, I'm with you on this. Like I overall I have enjoyed the series to this point, but I definitely have plenty of nitpicks and criticisms. And one of the big ones is how they glossed over 0304. There were so many things from 0304 that they should have included and and chose not to and i know they're trying to do shorter episodes and they're only doing 10 episodes and and whatever i well only 10 episodes they're doing 10 episodes but you know they're not full hour long each time and 0304 there's so much in there and there's even a moment where teddy brewski has that line about hey you know somebody one of his teammates like well if we win this one it's whatever if we win the next one like that's a dynasty. The name of the thing is the dynasty. And to wh- what got you to be a dynasty in the first place is winning 03 and 04, and they just like show the score basically. Yep. And they're like, oh, yeah, and then they beat, then they beat the Eagles and the, or the Panthers and then the Eagles. So I thought that, I mean, there was a 21-game winning streak in there from 03 to 04, which is the longest winning streak in uh, I think in NFL history. Mm-hmm. There is uh cutting lawyer Malloy right before the 2003 season and then bring in Rodney Harrison. And I remember at the time being like shocked because, you know, now you look back on it. Bill Belichick has made surprise cuts and surprise trades all the time, right? Like that's kind of a classic Belichick thing, but the lawyer Malloy one was the first one. And he had played two seasons with Bill, or I guess three seasons with Bill. And right before the season, he cuts lawyer Malloy. And you're like, what is this? What are they doing? Like, what are they thinking? And then Rodney came in. Rodney was great. Rodney was even better than, than lawyer. And they had a, a ton of success, but there's so much in there that they could have gotten into. So like, even if they wanted more like soap opera angles, they could have leaned on the lawyer Malloy stuff or at least celebrate the Oh three Oh They didn't talk about Corey Dillon and the addition that he was an 04 and how he was an unbelievable running back and kind of a reclamation project. One of the many they've had in their time. So yeah it's uh it was a shame that they kind of skipped over those two oh, yeah. two great years of the of the team
0: I was disappointed because I thought that in order to tell the story, you have to be able to include the important parts as well. It doesn't mean you have to go into every a little bit of detail, but you can't talk about the dynasty without talking about 0-3-0-4. I mean that those between those two seasons, they went thirty four and four. Obviously, winning back to back. But you talk about I- including the longest on um, regular season winning streak in the history of the league with twenty one straight on um, regular season wins. I mean, like it's kind of like like you 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 kind of like did it a little bit of, of, of a disservice. And I just thought that just like, and I'm not comparing docu series at all. Nor am I slamming um, the production of of the series but i thought that as part of st- storytelling you have to be able to at least give it some due like some some due due justice if you will in terms of being able to talk about the, like, as you talked about um like Laurie Malloy, him getting cut prior to the 03 season that um that in itself was a, is a big part of, of the story of the 2003 patriots and you talk about 04 like, like a big a big part of that 04 season was you like hey, can you um, can can we do it again like because if we do it again now it's a dynasty and Teddy Bruschi talked about it in the episode
1: yeah so the fact that they kind of glossed that over is really surprising to me because that's what made him a dynasty and then what they were able to do after the fact and then have another run with three more Super Bowls made it you know, one super long dynasty. I know some people view it as sort of like two different dynasties. I look at it as just one long one because you had the same coach quarterback. Uh But yeah, there was a lot in there and I know they had to get, and I had a feeling this is what it was going to be because after I watched the first two episodes, they announced, uh all right, next week. And it was like episode three and four and episode four was already about Spygate. And episode two, they weren't even in the Super Bowl against mm-hmm. the Rams yet, and I was like, "Oh man, they're gonna they're gonna rip through this thing," and that's what they've done. Like this, t- it's twenty years, and it's really even yeah. more than twenty years because they highlighted the Parcells time and Drew Bledsoe and even Kraft buying the team and the early days of the Patriots. So it's even more yeah. than twenty years that they're trying to squeeze into this documentary, but. I don't know. The team w- did win six Super Bowls. That's why they are the, the greatest dynasty in football history. And yet, two of those titles, including until the Chiefs just did it, the last it took twenty years for a team to go back to back. You would have thought they would have highlighted that a little
0: bit more than they did. I'm surprised because I, and, you, and you brought up a great point about the Chiefs because because I talked about this the night of of, of Super Bowl fifty eight. And I and I tweeted about the saying that you know, it's a dynasty now. Like now we can talk about the Chiefs, this Chiefs, um, ring oh, yeah. of dominance as this is a dynasty. Like they've won three three championships in five years, including back to back. And and yet, I've kept finding myself going into into this place as a Patriots fan, even taking the fanhood out of it completely. That when you see the similarities that, that run parallel between the Pats dynasty and this Chiefs current dynasty it's 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 almost strikingly similar but i'll also ask you this as well that if the chiefs somehow pull off the unthinkable and that is winning three straight super bowls which has never been done in the history of the league the patriots came damn close in 2016, 17, and 18, obviously we all know about 20, the infamous Benjamin Malcolm Butler in Super Bowl 52 in the 2017 season. But if the Chiefs pull off the unthinkable and, and pull off a 3 three P, would you say that this becomes a little bit more impressive than what the Patriots were able to do during the first six years of his dynasty? Oh, yeah. If you're just comparing
1: the years, right. And if you're just taking the Chiefs in their first run and you're you're not talking about what the Patriots have done in the second half of it, then yeah, it is. Like, I mean, it would be more Super Bowls, it'd be more Super Bowl appearances. And that's the other thing about this run, is we we did this a lot on the show, kind of leading up to the Super Bowl, is sort of like Tom Brady's first six years as a starter versus Patrick Mahomes' first six years as a starter. And Believe it or not, there was a year that Brady and the Patriots missed the playoffs, whereas Patrick Mahomes goes to the conference championship game every year. He went to one extra Super Bowl. It's not the same number of Super Bowls. So then if you had the three Pete. Yeah. And so he's already on pace. He and the Chiefs are on pace with the Patriots. The crazy thing about the Patriots is 20 years like Andy Reid won't be coaching the Chiefs for 20 years. Patrick Mahomes might play for 20 years. That's a that's a big might. And then who knows how they're going to end up replacing might. Kelsey, how they're going to replace all these other guys. But, yeah, if you're just comparing six years or now, I guess seven years and seven years, then for sure the Chiefs would be more impressive.
0: When you look at the Patriots currently right now, and there's been so much chatter and so much discussion surrounding what the Patriots are gonna do with the third overall pick. And in fact, just within the last 48 hours, there have been some reports, whether it's true or not, that there's discussion as it pertains to trading the third overall pick. If you are if you are Elliot Wolf in this in, in in this position, as well as Gerard Mayo, do you stay at pick number three? And, and you don't trade down because this is the best quarterback class that we've seen, I would say probably in the like since 2016, 2017. And franchise quarterbacks do not grow on trees. and this is the biggest draft for the Patriots in in three decades. And w- w- would you agree with that? And, 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 and if not, do you think that the Patriots would be better served? trading down in the first round of the draft.
1: So I don't want them to trade down at all. I think there are certain times where you can trade down, right? So that's not something that I would say all the time about every single draft, but for this one in particular, I wouldn't trade down. I think there's really kind of three options that I think would be satisfying to me. One, believe it or not, as much as they need a quarterback and as great as as even though I acknowledge quarterback's the most important position, I've loved Marvin Harrison Jr. Ever since I saw him at uh, his first game in Ohio State, I thought he was next level. If he was in the draft two years ago, I think he would have been the top receiver. Mm-hmm. I would be thrilled with Marvin Harrison with the number three pick and then maybe trade back into the first round to get a quarterback or be aggressive in free agency or whatever. So my three successful options for the, the Patriots would be draft Marvin Harrison, draft whatever quarterback is still there at three or. Trade up to number one and get Caleb Williams. I'm not trading down. I would do any of those other three things.
0: I wouldn't trade down either, but it's just the fact that it's being floated out there. And it's like, why would you want to trade down when you need a quarterback? I mean, getting Marvin Harrison Jr. is it's great. Yeah, you'll have like a clear number one receiver, something that the Patriots haven't had in quite some time but you still need a quarterback and that guy is, not, is clearly not on the roster on this current roster, at least. And if you're the Patriots, if you're going to make a deal or you want to make a trade, um, what quarterback would you even at least consider on the, on, on the trade market or in free agency that you can go out and, and sign, given that Justin Fields is available, given that Kirk Cousins is available, like, like what would you do?
1: Uh, I like Baker Mayfield a lot. I've always liked Baker Mayfield. Uh, Elliot Wolf was also with the Browns the year that they drafted Baker Mayfield. Uh, Alex Van Pelt coached Baker Mayfield in 2020. Now, I know all signs point to him probably staying in Tampa Bay after the good run he had there, getting him to the playoffs. But I would throw a lot of money at Baker Mayfield. If the Bears end up keep uh, just drafting Caleb Williams, I would definitely entertain trading for Justin Fields. Uh, and then after that, it would probably have to be like Bo Nix, whether that's late first round or your second round pick, the, the quarterback out of Oregon, Michael Penix, the quarterback out of Washington. So I think if you go Harrison at three or if you do you know what neither of us want and trade down, there are at least a handful of other quarterback options out there, which would be a significant upgrade over what you currently have.
0: Absolutely. Um, um, no, no question about it. And I want to touch on the Red Sox just a little bit before we wrap it up. Now, the Red Sox, they're, they're entering the season with, with really not much expectation, considering that even at this current moment in time, they still have not made a move to address the starting rotation. And Jordan Montgomery is still available. And at what point do you say, stop teasing the fan base? Stop teasing the media because that's what they've been doing re- as of late and go out and make a move. But all signs have shown that they have not shown the willingness to go out and make a move that's going to bolster this rotation where they need help. And they clearly do not have a number one guy on, on, on in, the, in the starting rotation right now.
1: Yeah, it seems like it's just been a game of chicken between Jordan Montgomery and his agent, Scott Boris. Of course, it's Boris. He represents everybody. And the Red Sox, and as much as I want the Red Sox to spend money, and I, you know, we've been screaming at John Henry to spend money on the team, they shouldn't have to overspend on Jordan Montgomery. He's good, he's not great. So if they ended up giving him seven yeah. years and some ungodly amount of money, already right, added him to the rotation, but really, at what cost? And is that going to prevent you from making other moves down the road? So. It doesn't seem like any team is really in love with Jordan Montgomery. So maybe that price will come down low enough or maybe he'll settle on like a really short term deal. So maybe the average annual is kind of high, but it's only for a few years. Then maybe that's the opportunity to to jump on it. I wouldn't just give him whatever he wants, knowing that the Red Sox desperately need starting pitching, but I'm not going to just go crazy and, and hand out a really bad contract.
0: What would be the ideal number that the the Red Sox should target for a a guy like Jordan Montgomery? And I would even throw in Blake Snell, who's still, at this time, currently still available on the free agent market.
1: I mean, there seems to be no real interest in Montgomery, doesn't feel like. I would say, I would go low. I would be like three for 75, or three for 75. Or... You know, how you know, in or if you, you know, give him something in return, you could always be like, all right, there's opt-out deals in there. So if you really think you can make more next year, feel free to opt out. But like, we're not giving you a seven year contract. We're not paying you, you're not one of the best pitchers in baseball, so we're not gonna pay you that way.
0: And and last question I'll ask you in, in terms of the upcoming spring, which is hard to believe, it's literally right around the corner um if you were a man who bet which Mm -hmm. boston sports team come the spring do you have more faith in belief that will win a championship or bring a championship back to boston which will be the first in five years would it be the bruins or would it be the boston celtics you choose
1: Celtics and it's not even close and I know they haven't done it and I know like this group hasn't done it but (laughs) it's still the Celtics it's just definitely the Celtics I don't think they're gonna rip my heart out the same way although they've been up in series and they've lost it and maybe maybe it should be closer in my mind to the Bruins but no after what happened last year with the Bruins I'll pick the Celtics Mm -hmm. over them every single time.
0: And that's and that's part of the reason why like I'm I'm on that same boat right now. I think that my faith has shifted strongly towards the Celtics in terms of what they uh, in terms of like their ability to, to win a championship um, come the spring um and whatnot. And I think that's really like the, the overall expectation for this Boston Celtics team. And that's gonna wrap it up for this for this edition of the of Champions podcast with your uh, with your hostri rights. Rich Keith, you can catch him weeknights from on weeknights six ten on W E I um and rich thank you so much for taking the time to hop on the the pod man i really had a blast uh chopping up with you and um hopefully it won't take another three years um if, before we we collab um, on on some sort and whatnot
1: yeah absolutely man thanks for having me